Well, here we are with another Star Trek, the original series podcast. Tonight we're going to be talking about Obsession. And with me are the usual suspects, Eric and Madison. Hey, Eric. Howdy, y'all. And Rob in Chicago. Corpuscular greetings to you all. Obviously, we're, we're talking about a really big Kirk episode. And I, I, I suspect one of the big uh, points of discussion is going to be surrounding William Shatner's performance in this one and uh, just to kind of dive right in a little bit with this this one I actually like this one pretty well I I think it's a great character episode it has some really interesting science fiction concepts in it and I I always find it entertaining Uh, I however I'm sure anybody who is uh, not always crazy about Shatner's style of acting probably is not a big fan of this episode because he's he kind of goes all out in it but it, it's fun i i actually enjoyed it even though i again i hadn't seen it in quite some time but it it held up pretty well for me um eric what do you think about this one well i tend to agree uh this has always been one of my better liked episodes and i hadn't seen it in a while either uh i i don't know i'm kind of on the fence about Shatner's performance in a way I think it was appropriate to the subject matter for the theme of the episode, but um, he pushed it pretty far in a number of places. So, I don't know, we can, we'll talk about that a little bit, I'm sure. Yeah, you bet. Um, Rob, I, I suppose you must have loved this one. Uh, I do have a very, very high tolerance for uh, William Shatner scenery chewing so yeah i you know what i didn't even notice it standing out uh as being particularly egregious in this episode um but uh i i did enjoy it and uh i have a few i have some quibbles with um the story in a few places um but i think it is a good i think it's a a good a good story overall and i think that um they, you know, developing some more of Kirk's character in this way is interesting, and it, I think it, it is especially interesting the way that it plays out with uh, the way that he interacts with Spock and McCoy in this episode. So we can talk about that more. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's a very good point. Um, this this episode, in some ways, uh, reminds me of Conscience of the King. Uh, hmm. As far as uh, the, the you know, again, Shatner, or, I'm sorry, or Kirk is. It, it just gets his head, head around a certain thing and doesn't let go of it. And I um, that's a, there, there's a little bit of, uh, of of that also, even though this one is is a little bit more obsessive. <laughs> that's a good comparison. I hadn't thought of that. Um, it does have there are some similarities to uh, to Conscience of the King. Um, it's it's it also uh, getting into the the story, especially where um, Kirk is is so certain of his rightness in this that he he again takes the sh- you know takes the ship where he's not supposed to be going and you know disobeys orders and all this other stuff. Kind of like in a mock time too. That's that's true a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that that that's true. I mean, so this is not really a new thing. 
Um, but as Rob mentioned, the w the way this uh, carries out, uh, carries on with his relationship with McCoy and Spock, whom he does mm -hmm. not include in his decision making, and you know he, he doesn't share with them. He just kind of closes up, which is really interesting character-wise. Because no normally, when they are in a crisis, they're the at least the three of them um, work together quite a bit. Mm. Right, and that 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 to me makes it a lot more interesting, and the uh, the again the the ideas are, are about having Kirk uh, kind of wrestling with a, a ghost of his past is is again not incredibly original in, in the show, but it's it's I think it's done pretty well here, and I also like the fact that they um, they 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 tried to build this you know, somewhat brief relationship with the Ensign Garifik character. Mm -hmm. And that, that 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 was interesting. Well, um, just the filling in Kirk's backstory is yeah. What it, what was what what happened to Kirk when he was a, a, a young officer? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's a it's a great backstory episode. And and of course, it it it's just really interesting. Again, the the primary interest to me is is the character stuff, uh, the ideas expressed about the the creature, the the, the gas cloud creature are. Are, are, are pretty interesting. I, I, I think the you know the, there's some great sci-fi nuggets in there. The, you know when they finally figure out how, what its nature is and and all that. But that, that's fun. Mm -hmm. So I want you guys to uh, help me out here because I think my to the the extent that I have a problem with this episode, it has to do with those sort of the way that the unraveling the mystery. Uh, of what the creature is sort of relates to Kirk's keeping stuff hidden or keeping to his decisions making process to himself and talking about intuition and so I'm just wondering because it it makes it a little awkward it isn't like you know we've seen in a lot of other episodes where the crew together sort of solves the mystery of what you know what this creature is um, you know what it does, how to defeat it. Instead, it's uh, Kirk and uh, Kirk keeps it hidden to the extent that he does know, and Spock and McCoy have to kind of, you know, drill it out of him. Instead, he leaves clues for them. So, which is odd, and I'm wondering what you think is uh, is behind that. What what would Kirk's purpose be in keeping this stuff to himself? Hmm. Do you think? No, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say I never never really looked at it that way. Um, I guess uh, what occurs to me is that maybe he wasn't entirely certain, and so wanted them, uh, wanted them to dig it out and analyze it on their own as kind of a... Uh, you know, a second opinion sort of thing uh, and uh, sort of backhanded, you know, getting backhanded affirmation that he's, that he's right. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say something like that. To me, it, it comes off, well, there are a couple of points here. One is that Kirk is not, is not sure of himself, but is sure enough that he needs to take action. And that mm -hmm. he, instead of, uh, if I, again, 
drawing parallels to, you know, to Captain Picard, which, you know, sometimes it's stupid to do, but other times it's interesting, is, you know, if, if something like this had come up on Next Gen, Picard would have had them all sit down in the briefing room and would have explained it all, explained them all the situation, and, like, say, I'm gonna, you know, go out on a limb on this, and, you know, but th this is why I think this way, and here are all the details, and, of course, everybody would go, yeah, go Captain. But I think Kirk right. wasn't very sure of himself. And I, but the the other point is that I I, I wonder if, if it it, it kind of comes off a little bit as uh, dramatically false. You know, in a way, it's almost trying to create extra drama where maybe it isn't necessary. Although, um, then again, maybe it it keeps the pacing a little better too. I just you know I'm not sure I really believe that, but. That, that, yeah, I think that the, would be a fair criticism of it, though. Well, and another thing that it occurs to me is that uh, he could be keeping all this to himself because uh, the memory of uh, what happened on the, um, uh, what was it, the Potemkin, where he served with, under Garabek um, as a lieutenant. Oh, the Yorktown. Okay, I'm sorry. No, sorry. it's the Yorktown is the ship that they're going to rendezvous with. Oh, you're right. That's right. Wrong. It was the. Um, I thought it was the Potemkin. No, it wasn't the Potemkin. No, it was the Farragut. The Farragut. Yes, right. The Farragut. Yes. Okay. <laughs> British Admiral. I. You know, um, I was going to say. I'm sorry. I'll let you finish your thought, and then I'll I'll jump in. Well, um, what I was getting at was that uh, the memory of that was so. Uh, not only painful for him, but also one where he uh, he's embarrassed or ashamed because of his perceived failure. And as a result, he doesn't want to... Um, he's reluctant to even talk about it. And, you know, the only way he'll even let Spock and McCoy find out about it is just referring them to the record so that they can read it on their own without him having to um, talk about it or discuss it in any way. Yeah, I was going to say something very similar, Eric. <clears throat> um, and I think, yeah, so it, it occurred to me that he could be sort of reenacting the hesitation that he felt those 11 years before. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, you know, I, but it makes sense that what you said, that he's a, he might be ashamed... It's very unusual for Captain Kirk to feel that way, um, for that character to feel embarrassed about something, you know, to feel <clears throat> to feel like he was un unsure of himself because he's so usually so certain, right? And uh, and it also kind of it makes sense of the moment, which I thought was really interesting, where Spock is trying to make him feel better by telling him that it wouldn't have made any difference, <clears throat> and I I'll get to that argument in, in a, a little bit later, but. Spock tries to comfort him, basically, and, and make him feel better, and he, Kirk will have none of it. He says, you know, yep. if you if you want to be an analyst, pick somebody else. And, and he does. Yeah. Well, was, that's the funny does. part. Spock does so, insist on being he, he, an analyst. He literally said, well, I'll go do that. <laughs> that's, I, yeah. I, I got that, but that's yeah, there, there are some funny little little bits, and before I forget about it, the the other funny thing that I laugh quite a bit at is the the little exchange between McCoy and Spock, where he asked him if he's read the record tapes, and Spock says, "Well, fortunately, I read faster than you do." 
Well, and you know, uh, Kirk actually has the same reaction to McCoy's attempts to comfort him that he does to Spock's. Oh, right, of course. Yeah, he's, he's he's very he's very dismissive and mm-hmm. a- and angry even. It's it's really interesting. Yeah, I guess, one I guess, of the things. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say one of the things that bothered me, um, and I think it's always bothered me about this episode, is that he comes down on Garavik because um, the Garavik hesitates. What? You know, just a few seconds before firing, and um, I don't know the the whole the way the way Kirk uh, behaves about that, and uh, it not only doesn't ring true uh, for the character <coughs> or the situation, it also um. I don't know. It it just doesn't uh, it doesn't work dramatically for me either. Um, I don't know. Do you? What do you guys think? But Eric, don't you think that for but that could also be a manifestation of Kirk's shame that he comes down so hard on Garavik for doing. You what see, he actually, did. that that that's something that didn't bother me too much. That I, I I think that was just something that yeah normally he would not, but this 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 was so personal, and and remind again had. Had such a you know, shameful element to it that he couldn't help himself. It, the the thing that the the person who he was who was pretty tough on that that I, I kind of like rolled my eyes a little bit at was this the Rizzo character at the beginning who lying sick bay is just like it's like oh come on Rizzo <laughs> he's just totally totally beaten up on him but he is just a red guy I guess. Well, yeah, I mean so. And of course, any die too, which you know is obligatory for Richards as well. But he had a little dialogue first, though. Oh, yeah, that is a little bit different. Red guy plus. Hmm. He got the deluxe treatment. <laughs> so well, let me ask you this. So it, it occurred to me watching this episode that. From a human perspective, it is certainly understandable that somebody would be frightened and hesitate for a moment before, you know, shooting the creature. But, but from, a, from a command perspective, from a military discipline perspective, it doesn't really make any difference um, whether or not the, it, it was ineffective, ultimately, to try to shoot the creature, because... It still doesn't change the fact that you screwed up, right? Because you, you still hesitated and you didn't take action. And isn't that something that's that you, as a, as a military officer, as you should be concerned about? That is something that you that is you know a real mistake. Well, um, are you talking about my criticism of the way Kurt handled? Yerevik's hesitation? Well, no, I'm just saying that it, the sort of, the the conclusion that Spock, Spock sort of logically um, tr- tries to reassure both of them by saying, essentially, it wouldn't have made any difference, and therefore, the fact that you hesitated, um, there was nothing wrong with that, basically. And 
Um, I mean, that, logically, that is true, but uh, <clears throat> from the perspective of military discipline and, you know, and overall effectiveness, just because in that particular instance it didn't matter doesn't mean that it's not bad for you to be hesitating in the face of danger. Right, well, so... I think, um, I think there's a fine line there, because if it were a matter of outright cowardice, or, you know, you know, if Garvin could, for instance, turn, turn around and run, then, yeah, that would be a big deal. But hesitating for a matter of, you know, like, two or three seconds, just because you're startled when you're surprised, I mean, that's not a matter of military discipline. That's just uh, a normal human reaction. And... Yeah, I mean, I, I guess... And, you know, and he just, did... Uh, yeah. The point yeah. is that he did, in fact, you know, fire and try to stop it. He, I bet it came out from out of nowhere, and he was startled for just a, you know, just a very he few seconds. He was overcome by the sickly sweet odor. Yeah, 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 right. I think also it maybe depends on how how strict they are in, in Starfleet about, uh, you know, the shoot on site reaction time and all that because i'm sure you know i obviously i'm not an expert at this at all but i would think that there would be a certain amount of training and even maybe conditioning in in security people that have to do this that that they're going to um, you know not you know to overcome this but i don't know i mean that's not really you know brought into the into the story at all so we don't really know that but Garavik's orders were to shoot. I mean, he yeah, knew he what he... Yeah, he was ordered, and he's supposedly a security guy. So, I don't think there's any... any wiggle room in, in the orders that he had. I think it's just whether he can be faulted for not doing it instantly. Well, and, you know, and if... I guess part of the point is that if that was his first, you know, deep space assignment on, uh under the kinds of conditions and circumstances that they can encounter, then, you know, um, I, I can see where hesitating when you're startled might be grounds for some sort of reprimand, but uh, not harsh, uh, harsh disciplinary action, because, I mean... Well, I don't know. It, yeah, it just it, it, it seems to me like... Go ahead. I guess the question is, is it really important? Um, in, in, within this episode, I mean. Perhaps not. I don't know. Well, I mean, it, it, I guess it depends on whether or not you think it uh, affects the, uh, the the way that Garavik is treated. Now, obviously, but, but then you could also argue, I think, that, that Spock, of all people, should have been the one to point out that, yes, you did screw up, even though it would have, you know, that in this, in this particular episode, Spock is put in the Counselor Troy seat for a little bit, where he, he has to, you know, try and, and throw some psychology to keep, you know, to keep things from unraveling. Well... Um, but wait, shouldn't it have really, if you think about it, shouldn't it have been 
Spock saying, coldly pointing out the facts. You know, logically, this is what happened. Yeah, you 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 made a mistake. And then McCoy is the one that comes in and and, and says, well, "I don't feel bad, son. It wouldn't have mattered." And I, I guess uh, I guess you could make an argument for that, but I think part of the point was that Spock was, you know, trying to make Spock more of a sympathetic character as well by having him, you know, be the actually doing some of the touchy feely, you know, oh, it's still don't blame yourself, you know, it's not your fault, you're just human. Yeah, it's true. You could also, uh, there's a, one of the other exchanges with McCoy and Spock is that, I believe he says something to the effect of, I don't really understand how obsession works. Well, what's up with that? So this whole this whole yeah. process is, is kind of him learning on the job on why humans behave in such a way. That's true. But well, it, it's it's interesting to, to to see Spock kind of take on some of those aspects. Yeah. And I guess you know, talking about uh, the way Kirk treated Garovic, um from the standpoint of. Uh, uh, him, well, he he was. Uh, I, I I think it could be easily. Uh, the case could be made that he was taking out his his shame and his um, anger over his perceived failure on the Farragut earlier, uh, taking it out on Garavik, uh because he saw Garavik as making the same mistake. Which, you know, really doesn't, I guess it's understandable, but it doesn't speak very well of Kirk's character. Yeah, we, it's, we get to see some flaws in Kirk's character, which I think is really, you know, it's unusual, but it's, it also makes him a lot more interesting than he was before. That's true. Oh, I, I think that's totally true. It, it, it is not an entirely positive look at Kirk's character. Yep. And even even though the the end result is good that they prevented this this thing from spawning multiple times and perhaps going after inhabited planets, um, the way it's gone about is certainly questionable. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Yeah, and it it does result in a lot of dead bodies. You yeah. Know. Possibly unnecessarily. I mean, and McCoy calls him out on this. This is, I love it how in this episode they're they're really sharp with each other. Yeah, that's uh, great. Actually, I really like the the, the dialogue. Um, and I forget what, what exactly McCoy says, but something like the trophy you on your monster hunt. It's not on the wall. It's yeah. in it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's, great. It's, stuff. it's great. Great little delivery and just this rebuke, this smack. <laughs> Of course, then McCoy reverses himself shortly thereafter. <laughs> yeah, he. I think he apologizes yeah, too he does. easily. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's. We realize that it it was important to stop the creature because, although I wasn't certain how they figured out that it was going to spawn. That that's I think a, a fair thing to go after in this episode is the whole Kirk having some empathic 
ability that nobody else has with this creature. Well, I, mean, I guess you, no, have, you have to have some way of, of getting to these conclusions, but... I think they could have solved that problem easily by having Spock pick up on something when he... When it was attacked, in contact with it, yeah, yeah. When he had contact with it, but then I guess that that would have made the episode more about Spock instead of Kirk. And, um, but it, it was. I thought it was a little strange that we that we suddenly knew that it was going to spawn. Well, maybe, maybe it's just that whenever they run into intelligent cloud creatures like the one in Metamorphosis, um, they they have they they have a lot of they're all they, they, they can they can sense them a lot better or something. Yeah. yeah, they're telepathic. Yeah, they're they're amazing. Like, oh, it's another cloud creature. I think I know what's going on. <laughs> but you know, I, I actually go ahead, Eric. I said I, I was thinking about it because, uh, from a scientific plausibility standpoint, um, i.e., you know how how would you know this cloud creature magically suck all the uh, hemoglobin out of a out of a body, but I got to thinking about it, and uh, you know the cloud creature is probably mostly electrical in nature, like much like the companion. Maybe they're related. Who knows? Mm. And, uh, and and if it's electrical in nature, then it generates some kind of electromagnetic field. Uh, hemoglobin is based on iron, which. Uh, is magnetic, or can be magnetized at least. So you know it could use an electromagnetic field to draw out the hemoglobin. So I don't know, maybe a stretch, but just something I was. You, you know, one of the wonder if you want to quibble. Also, I, I I was wondering how. Okay, so the the creature can go through a glass container full of hemoglobin. Mm-hmm. And you know, and eat it all, and all that, and leaving leaving the glass jar intact. But it has to use the ventilation system of the ship. So if it can move through glass, you know, a solid object like glass jar, why can't it just go through the walls of the ship? Well, I, I mean, the yeah, walls I think of the ship aren't glass. That's true. I, I was going to say, I think we have to assume that the the bait they set had. Some opening. That's true. Maybe it did. Allow that they they planned it that way, but maybe it had a little little tiny opening that it could suck the stuff out through. Yeah, yeah. I I think that giant that straw. <laughs> like a little straw. Um, yeah, that I works. did think. Yeah, there you go. Um, I did really like the way that they that this episode, um, built up, uh. You know, built the suspense, and each each encounter with the creature was a little more fraught and a little more dangerous. Um, and it was really nicely handled. You know, the first on the planet's surface, and then we get some deaths, and then there's the pursuit in space, and then the thing comes onto the Enterprise, which is great. Um, and then at the at the climax, they have to set this trap for it, and we in that that moment when they're down on the surface, Garavik and Kirk, and the, and they smell the creature. I think that's a great mm-hmm. moment, and then of course there's the the final, you know, um, fight. <laughs> there's well, there's, then there's the fist fight because there has to be a fist fight in every yeah, episode. Yeah, nicely inserted. I think that is a requirement. 
Um, but then you have you also have the cliffhanger of are is the transporter gonna get work for them to get back? Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't have smoke Brilliant. smoke shooting out of the transporter pads. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of great stuff like that, and yeah, I. I but then Spock cross circuits to be. That's right. Thank pitchforks and fo- pointed ears. Pointed ears. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Okay. Um, I don't think there's any opportunity for misogyny corner. Well, what did you think of the scene? Other with than the chapel, there's chapel with her little, you know, psycho. Oh, I, I, I kind of chuckled at that, but even though she, I don't know, that she really... was kind of a waitress, but <laughs> well, but she was also, I mean, uh, doing more than just playing. That's kind of a nitpick, really. But... Yeah, I mean, she at least got to do something useful, and I mean, she kind of did a, at least a mild smackdown on Garibay to make him oh, yeah. no, I, eat his dinner. As I said, I, I, I smiled at that, that little exchange. Yeah. Um, how, I like how she... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I like how she trashes Kirk to Garavik. She says that Kirk is going nuts. Yeah, she does. She, she, she does unload a little bit, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> so speak, the captain... speaking of character stuff... Seems like it, it, it's kind of funny how they all constantly haranguing him about the the vaccines and everything. You, yeah. Even Scotty starts talking about the vaccines. <laughs> but Captain, the the vaccines that are perishable, they're stable, they're perishable. Yeah. I mean, the, the, every, every, yeah. every it, whenever he turns around, somebody's in his face about this rendezvous. We got to get them done. Like, it's, it's, it's more just the way that it, they're kind of stacked on top of each other. Yeah. yeah everybody's got to get their... Their dig. Their dig in. Yeah. And, does Uhura? I can't remember if Uhura... No, I don't think she... No, I don't think she does. But Scotty and Spock and McCoy all certainly do. I have to admit that if I'd been Kirk in that position, I think I probably would have gotten a little pissed myself. Like, yeah. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> hey, who's captain? Hey! Who's captain? And the, and and then and then after he he accuses everybody of conspiring against him, and he he kind of takes it back, and Scotty just kind of goes, "I." <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. Uh, what does he say? Or something like that. Uh, that, uh, that, that was a, that was a nice touch. Yeah. So how about speaking of Scotty? Why can't the ship go faster than warp six? Uh, it can, but um, uh, not without. That, that's something they seem to change as they went along. That because, yeah, you know, because there I know the points where it's like you know warp nine warp is is the the maximum. Warp eight, warp nine, yeah. Um, be honest, I don't. I don't know that that was ever explained. I don't <coughs> no, I, I don't think they really established a, a a writing standard for that as far as the continuity. Yeah. Just a Trek geek complaint there. Although they did fix that in for the next gen, the writer. Oh yeah, they were much more very... consistent then. Yeah, definitely. Did you guys watch the uh, the original or the super duper enhanced ones? I watched the original. 
Rob. So did I. Ah. Yeah, so, so fill us in. Well, um, the big difference, obviously the planet side stuff looked exactly the same. The biggest differences are is that when they're they're confronting the creature in space, uh, it, it's all CG, and the the cloud stuff stuff was looked pretty cool. And actually, one of the one of the best things that, you know, about the re redone effects is that after after the explosion goes off, and they show the planet, you, you see this gigantic bombed out side of the planet. Oh, cool. It's kind of a neat little effect, and kind of acknowledging the fact that they just set off an antimatter bomb on this planet. Hmm. So that that's kind of neat. Cool. Most of the rest of it was was not that that great, but nice touch. Yeah. It may, of course makes makes you the the other thing. Speaking of effects, this is not new stuff, obviously, but they like to use a lot of. Reversing the film technique when, when the creature withdraws, and on a, on a, on a on, oh yes, and on a high res screen, it's really easy to see that they have just reversed the film <laughs> to show the you know the fog going back. Well, actually, you don't need. I I was watching for that um, when I rewatched it, and uh, you don't need a high res screen to see that. It's it's pretty evident. Yeah, and that that. that Kind of stuck out a little bit, but that—that's what they had to do. Yep. I did think they—they—they they, they leveraged an awful lot out of smoke in this episode. Now, do you think that? Speaking of that, it occurred to me that I, I wonder if they revealed the creature a little too early. That you know, mm. keeping it unseen a little longer might have been more effective. Like in Jaws. Well, yeah, it's that, that same principle. Yeah, it, it's an oldie but a goodie, but it's it works. Like like you basically mm. see it in the first confrontation, whereas if they'd not shown it right away and just had maybe some audio indicator and and then cut cut to the guys with the the white makeup. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just a just a thought. That. That's yeah. a good point, or maybe just giving a hint of what, uh, uh, of you know, just maybe showing a trickle of the, or just a little, the edge of the cloud as it crept over the rock, and then shown only that, so that you just got a, a hint of what it is. You know, I was uh, thinking of <clears throat> the, oh well, I guess you guys have probably not watched Lost. I haven't seen it. Yes, I have. Oh, yeah, I, we watch it all the time. Um, but the I wondered smoke if... smoke creature? Yeah, I wondered if... The, if yeah, I saw, you know, thought of... A, there's a lot of similarities here. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes and no. Do you think that J.J. Abrams might have been uh, influenced by this episode? Oh, not necessarily, because I think J.J. Abrams didn't, actually had never watched Star Trek before. That's he true. Working on the movie. But, you know, you never know. I mean, I would imagine that writers, a lot of Hollywood writers, at least that work on science fiction shows, would be influenced by Star Trek. But Yeah. Uh, hmm. And, of course, you probably noticed they reused a lot of the music from the Doomsday Machine. 
They did. They did. Mm. Which I couldn't help but think about when I was watching it. Yeah. I think that is it's sort of a drawback of watching the series this way. Oh, yes, it is. Uh, is that you really... The, you really start to know the cues, and it takes away a little bit from... Right, and you know, um, you, you can remember where they originated. <laughs> right. And oh, so yeah. the further we go, the more of that we're going to have. Yeah. Especially in third season, where I, I'm sure most of it was recycled. Yeah. More things to look forward to. But Box Brain! Box Brain! Hey, I am looking forward to that one. <laughs> and The Way to Eden... Yeah, th- I think we're going to have some fun with those, actually. <laughs> well, I'm going yes. to close this one out, unless you guys have something else to add. No, I don't think so. Good. No Sulu in this episode. No, I, they, they seem to often have one or the other. You get Chekhov or you get Sulu. Um, I Not think, always. Uh, the re- I think the reason for it, though, yeah, that he was uh, absent so often during the second season is that he was... Um, he was cast in the Green Berets that movie with John right. Wayne, yeah. and he was off shooting that I did, quite a I bit. I did read that somewhere. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yep. More Sulu. Yes. Well. Oh, I. Anybody, anybody listening? Thanks for listening. And yes, indeed. If you have any comments or questions, leave it on the the entry page. But otherwise, we'll see you next time. What's our next one, guys? Uh, let's see here. Hold on a second. The next one is... Come on. Accessing. One second. Wolf in the Fold. Ah, okay. That's a good one. And then Trouble with Triples is after that. Oh, yes. There'll be no trouble at all. Well, there'll be no trouble at all. Well, good night, everybody. Good night, guys.